Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, this is Santosh, your pediatric infectious diseases doctor. Hey, it's me, Dr. Ward, ER doc. Hey, how's it going guys? This is ER Josh. This week, we are going to cover summertime and living's easy. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> Fair use. So... We are getting, we, we are moving into spring and shortly after summer. Um, spring is a great season in Chicago. Sometimes it lasts as long as a week, week and a half. <laughs> you get gray, 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 sunny gray. <laughs> I, I missed it in 2006. I just, yeah. I, well, you did have a long thing. nap that day. <laughs> I did. Well, Josh, it was a balmy uh, 95 degrees here today in L.A. <laughs> yes, yes. So with the season coming on, we figured it would be a good time to start covering some of the medical issues that come up as you're traveling, certainly in the U.S., and at least in many temperate zones. But before we get into that, I I just wanted to tell you guys, totally unrelated to medicine, did you know that now be served court papers or court summons on Facebook? <laughs> That's true. No summons way. and divorce papers as well. Yes, it's it's, and I say this because my my brother is a lawyer, so I love hearing about these cases from him. But in the case of Baidu versus Blood Drazaku, which sounds like you know the most awesome <laughs> Avengers versus ever. Vision versus Ultron. <laughs> Sure. Right. Baidu versus Blood Drozaku. <laughs> it's, a, it's a court case from March of 2015. And the basic premise is that because Facebook indicates a receipt of message, like message seen, they're like, yeah, no, because it, you can guarantee that someone's seen it when they've read it. You can now serve court summons and divorce papers on Facebook, which kind of makes the poking functionality, I guess, useful again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you've got court papers. I think... Poke. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the AOL voice? You've been served. <laughs> I don't think I'd... Baidu should have unfriended Dracula, Dracula's coup. That blood, guy, blood, he should have him. Blood, blood, yes. blood Dracul. Since we just talked about Blood Dracul, <laughs> and I'm sure that he hates sunlight, why don't we start with one of the most common medical issues that takes place during the summer or any bright sunny period in weather areas i'm good at language we we got you we got you i do talk good and why don't we start with something very easy like why you should wear sunglasses 
during the summer. It's more than just looking cool. Sunlight, including any light that bounces off water or sand or cleaner concrete than we have out here, can burn your corneas, the opposite of Superman and Cyclops' heat vision. (laughs) Any of this light that bounces off and directly into your eyes, it's actually a condition known as photokeratitis. And if this goes on long enough and you're exposed over long enough periods of time, days, months, it can end up aging your eyes lenses prematurely, leading to cataracts, to macular degeneration, other vision problems. So it's not just about protecting your skin. You also want to protect your eyes. And that's why you want to shield against UVA and UVB rays and avoid spending time outdoors without protection when the sun is strongest which in our part of the world tends to be around 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Right. And Josh, you mentioned the, the words snow blindness and sand blindness. A lot of this takes place where you have a highly reflective surface on the ground, just as you were alluding to. So I saw this a lot when I was doing my medical mission up in the Himalayas. And of course, there's snow on the ground, and it could be winter or summertime. But if those, a lot of the villagers actually would be maybe 20, 30 years old, but they would have the front of their eyes or the cornea or their lenses be uh, somewhat opacified, almost like they were 70, 80 years old, because they would be looking at bright sunlight bouncing off the snow. And the same thing can happen in the desert. Oh, like Storm? Another (laughs) X-Men reference? Yes. Yes. You walk around without sunglasses and you will look like Storm. Sunglasses are are there for more than just looking cool. Although that helps too. (laughs) Now at least your eyes have eyelids and you can close your eyes when they're getting toasted. What about the rest of your body? How do I close the rest of my body? (laughs) That's right. You like that segue? Wow, Ward talks good too. I'm talking about skin that's, that's right. I, you know, as an ER doc, I've actually seen a few cases of sunburn. Not bad enough where they, in my opinion, was life-threatening or, you know, even really tr- a true emergency. But, boy, it sure hurts, doesn't it? It is uncomfortable. And it it's a first-degree burn, just as if you put your hand on a hot stove. Well, in mild cases, it's a first-degree burn. So what happens is ultraviolet rays, it's the UV rays that causes most of the damage. And in our epidermis, that's the clear layer, that that confers us very little protection. In the dermis, that's where the melanocytes, that's where our pigmented cells sit. They don't absorb all the light. Whatever goes through the melanocytes into the dermis, that causes damage. And in in severe cases, it can actually be a second-degree burn. So you can get second-degree burns just from being out in the sun? In a bad, bad sunburn. In fact, first-degree burns are thermal burns. They're usually hallmarked by just a little bit, bit of redness. Once you get to blistering, which can happen in both thermal burns as well as bad, bad sunburns, that's actually considered a second-degree burn. Oh, you know, that reminds me of a time when one of our usual travel buddies, Ko, who... Still doesn't listen to this podcast, I think. (laughs) He and I were out in Egypt and Jordan, and he went out to the Red Sea to do some snorkeling while I went to climb a mountain because, you know, me and water. And he neglected to put on any kind of sunblock because, you know, he's too macho or more likely just forgot. That's And he came back, and the next day... There was, it was a second degree burn. He had a blister the size of a fist on his arm. And he's like, I I don't want to pop it. I'm like, I don't, but I really want to take a picture of it. And there are at least as many pictures of him smiling. I have almost as many pictures of this incredibly just humongous blister that he got from a sunburn. And I, I will occasionally still show it to him and be like, did you remember your sunscreen for this vacation? Nope. And he looks at me in typical fashion, and I can just, I feel the love rolling off his stare as, as he mouths, I will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> well, he's lucky. I mean, you know, the blisters are a local reaction. And in, in severe cases, you can actually get a condition called sun poisoning, which include fever, chills, nausea, and a generalized body rash. Can either of our ER docs tell us then, what does that 
acutely look like. So when you're examining someone who's got a very bad first degree burn or second degree burn from the sun, what are the things that if a patient is trying to self-monitor their skin, what do they feel or what does it look like? Well, you know, the, the main thing to differentiate between a first degree and a second degree burn is whether or not there's blistering. In a first degree burn, usually these burns are just comprised of really red, particularly painful skin to even light touch sometimes. And that's by far the most common type of burn you will, you will find in, in from, from a sunburn, that is. And the minute that you start seeing blistering, and, you know, sometimes even some loss of sensation, that's when it kind of goes into second degree burns. You know, the minute that you start seeing blistering and so on, you should become more concerned about damage to the deeper layers of the skin. You know, you start getting blistering, uh, it's probably safest to just go to a local ER or urgent care to have a provider check it out and see. Most cases of first degree burns can just be treated at home. Cold water not only takes care of the pain, but it helps prevent against uh, uh, infections as well. And then just putting a light layer of neosporin should take care of most first-degree burns. The only danger that comes with a extensive sunburn is if the body skin is our first layer of protection, and if enough of skin becomes compromised, then you could lose too much water. You could, you know, you're prone to infections. So if you're feeling faint or dizzy, if you have a rapid pulse, if you're not putting out urine, yes, come to the ER. A small patch of painful sunburn, you know, it's painful, but it shall pass. So how do you treat sunburns? I guess it, it depends on the type of burn again. So if it's a first-degree burn, then usually cool tap water is the first thing you want to do. And uh, after that, a, a, you know, thin, a thick layer of, of neosporin uh, is all that's needed for first-degree burns. But the minute that you start getting blistering, and the other important thing is to as to where to get it as well. Um, this may sound funny, but, you know, if for whatever reason you're, you know, not wearing underwear there and on the beach and uh, going skinny dipping or something like that and you get uh, burns in the groin area or, or others like that, then it's definitely much more concerning than, say, you get it, you know, over your back, which usually is a more traditional place to get a sunburn. You heard but, uh, ER, Josh, folks. Make sure to apply sunscreen to your groin. <laughs> Uh, children and the elderly should also be uh, more cautious about burn. Those are the kind of people that should definitely come into their local ER or urgent care clinic, take a look at them, you know, and see if they're need if there's more advanced treatment that's needed. And usually for secondary burns, uh, there may be some debridement or or some tissue that needs treated. Other medications that we kind of apply, silver sulfadiazine, it's it's also has antimicrobial properties, but it's better suited to to treat second and, and third degree burns. Have either of you guys, at least for first-degree burns, I know that the neosporin is the first-line treatment, have either of you ever used black tea to help with first-degree burns? Are you, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I am not familiar with what you're talking about. Please explain. Okay. Did start as a home remedy, but studies have been done. The tannins that are found in black tea specifically help to alleviate the itch and pain of sunburn, almost works in some ways like aloe vera. There's some conflicting evidence on whether or not it may help repair sun damage. And this is based off a study published in 2000 in the journal Nutrition and Cancer that showed that tannins help to protect the skin of hairless mice against the development of tumors caused by UVB radiation. Now, I did not know about this in 2000, but I do remember that being... As pale as I am, I tend to go from white to red and back to white again. There's no in-between brown stage for me. <laughs> and one of the things that my mom used to do every time I came back in with a sunburn is she would brew up a pot of Lipton tea, take out the tea bags, and or I'd have to go sit in a bathtub filled with tea <laughs> bags until my sunburns calmed down. So... Let me save you guys the trouble of making that joke. Oh, and God, yes, yeah. I did get teabagged yeah. at home. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, no fun, Josh. <laughs> so I can speak from experience, even though it's only anecdotal evidence for me that the ten if all you have available is some Lipton tea bags, that can help to treat first degree burns. And since tea bags can be found in pretty much any hotel around the world, it has been one of the things that's made it into our little emergency travel kit that Ward and I take on our various awesome. trips. And uh, 
Wow, I learned yeah, something new. And, uh, of course, uh, prevention is way better than cure. And for everybody listening, please, please use sunscreen. You want an SPF of, what, 25 or higher, correct, gentlemen? Yeah, at, at least. The higher, 30, yeah. the higher the, the higher better. The better. Actually, so. And there are yeah. conflicting reports right now looking at both the efficacy and long-term safety of the chemical sun protectants. So it is better to use what's called a reflective sun protectant, which contains a metal like titanium. So titanium dioxide, titanium oxide, and, and those types of sunscreens are, are better than chemical sun protectants that don't contain a metal. And if you can't stay out of the sun, that's right. what you should do. But, you know, stay yeah. out of the sun between 10 to 4 and if you can. Uh, big hats for your heads where you cannot apply sunscreen. And sunglasses with UV A and B protection when uh, going out where the sun will be reflective against the ground. Josh mentioned something interesting before that I want to I want to touch on. He said, you know, he he's pretty okay. pale, and he turns red <laughs> sure, like sure. that. I'm not as pale, and I I don't get sunburned that often. So I looked into whether or not your skin tone. Confers any for protection. Specifically, yeah, this is a good thing to for some, talk about. The short answer is yes, but not right. enough. <laughs> I went to, of all places, ebony.com. Right. And <laughs> as I usually do. Okay. And according to ebony.com, people of African descent can have as much sun protection factor as up to SPF 13. Right. Which is not anywhere near what we recommend. I actually did a search on NCBI PubMed. Okay. African Americans actually account for a good number of melanomas, and African-American death rates in melanomas are higher than their white counterparts. And this this goes also for our, you know, my brown peoples out there, mine and Josh's brown. It is very important to note that just because you are of darker skin, especially, and we, Josh, I think you can say this from experience, you hear this all the time from aunties and uncles especially, saying, oh, we don't need that, we're Indian. Never. (laughs) Never. You liar. (laughs) So it it is certainly not true just because you have a golden tone on your skin that you are protected from the sun completely please do use uh, sun protectant on your skin on hats for your head and uh, eyeglasses the the scariest part of actually having darker skin and not protecting your sun uh, not protecting your skin from the sun is that we tend to have melanomas in more inconspicuous places on our body so where a Caucasian person or a light-skinned person may have more melanoma show up on arms and legs and exposed areas, we tend to have them in creases. Where the sun don't shine. <laughs> in, in creases. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for a good five minutes to say that. <laughs> in creases, in, in armpits, things like that. And also, believe it or not, on our retinas. After long-term sun exposure, UV light can can trigger malignant conversion in the back of our eye. Wow. It's posted all over ebony.com. <laughs> yes. Do you, please do protect your... And it, that's good advice for everyone, ebony sure. or not. And remember, listeners, don't forget <laughs> don't the groin. Don't forget the groin. Never forget the groin. <laughs> do you know, I think if I was ever going to be a Batman villain... I'd do a whole bunch of music-themed, music-themed robberies, and my two henchmen would be Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> Together in perfect harmony. Oh my god! Yep, yep. And we would only commit musically punned crimes, <laughs> and they'd all be to scale. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on before. Jo- is your kryptonite sunlight? <laughs> it certainly is. Like with just pure on sunlight. Okay, before before Josh so, kills us all, 
let's uh other <laughs> other dangers of Move the on. sun so kind of going incrementally from sunburn to heat exhaustion i know that the heat makes me exhausted yes. <laughs> i'm exhausted just thinking. before we before we talk i will say like there are things that can make you more prone to heat exhaustion and these include some some chronic medical conditions like heart disease poor circulation and obesity can all hinder people's ability to cool down because what helps you cool down your body uses sweat and blood circulation as its own personal air conditioning system yeah, so before we yeah. get into that uh, Josh go ahead and tell me a little bit about what heat exhaustion is. well basically heat exhaustion is uh, you know the overwarming of your internal temperature of your body fairly commonly seen actually in in, in the summer months and again uh, there's two particular populations that are prone to this one is the elderly and and two is is children, especially really young children. You know the best way to prevent that is is to quench your thirst really well. So drink extra water, especially when it's hot outside in those in those summer months. And the reason why you want to do this is you want to actually prevent getting heat stroke, which is a much much more serious condition. And the hallmark of heat stroke compared to exhaustion is basically change in mental status, which means confusion, extreme lethargy. What's interesting to note is that often these people will actually have a lower temperature than or body temperature than those with uh, heat exhaustion. That's especially a very dire sign. And Ward, you actually, when we did our altitude talk, you actually described heat exhaustion and heat stroke happening on mountain climbing expeditions where people would bundle up too much. I, did I? I? I think, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, Weird. yes, I did. I, Yes, we are in course. rare form today, I, gentlemen. I, I, <laughs> of course. I think you 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 mentioned that because it, it's not thought of that when you're up high at altitude and it's really really cold outside, that you actually would suffer from something heat related. So this isn't just a summertime thing; it's uh, it's an anytime thing if you bundle up too much. Can you walk me a little bit through the pathophysiology about what happens internally when you transition from heat exhaustion to heat stroke? We can cool ourselves up to a certain sure. point, right? So we have our built-in mechanisms. If the temperature is outside temperature is lower than our own bodies, you know, we lose heat by radiation and we lose heat by sweating. And when the wind blows by it, by circulation. But on the other hand, when the temperature outside our bodies are hotter than the inside temperature, then only sweating works, only evaporation. And we can only do so much evaporation. We develop heat exhaustion when our body's own mechanism of cooling ourselves stop working. And we actually can stop sweating at that okay. point. And that's when that body temperature just rises dangerously. When you cross that threshold where we're getting neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. You get ultra mental status. That's when we call, clinically, we call it a heat stroke. But it's it's really a continuum of badness. Okay, so what what really gets affected first? What what do you feel before you start going delirious? In short, you know, you, you progressively get more and more okay. tired. Your temperature goes up progressively. Eventually, your body is just unable to regulate its own temperature at a normal, healthy core temperature. And then progressively, you become more and more tired and lethargic and just confused. That's, that's basically what happens. Both of you guys have not had a chance to mention is that in addition to the skin flushing and feeling unwell and tired and dizzy, you'll start to produce less urine. Your body is really going to try and hold on to all that right. fluid, and the urine is going to become very, very concentrated. And, and you know, from, from an organ standpoint, if you go specifically, so we already talked about the, the ultra-mental status and the confusion, but your kidney is, is one of the first things to get damaged in any kind of illness. But eventually, all your organs start to be affected, including your liver and eventually your circulatory system. Heart, you know, and your vasculature just can't maintain your blood pressure. As you get hypotensive or your blood pressure lowers. Is because the, the blood pressure... You uh, your blood flowing out to your fingers and toes, which keeps your, you know, your fingers and toes nice and warm, that system collapses. Right. It's just like, you know, also frostbite. You know, your your body's main goal in the end, it will sacrifice everything. It will sacrifice your arms, your legs, you know, even most of your organs to keep your brain and your heart alive. That's why a lot of times you'll, you'll just kind of, you know, feel cold everywhere else, you know, because your body's just trying to keep the main things uh, alive and well. Mm -hmm. 
if you see somebody who is suffering from heat stroke, the first thing you want to do is get them in the shade and a cool environment, ideally an air-conditioned room at about 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 15 to 18 Celsius. You want to make sure that they're in as few layers as possible. You want to give them showers with either cool water or cover them with wet sheets or towels. But you don't want to use water that's too cold. Don't use water that's colder than you know 55 to 60 degrees because that will restrict the heat loss since blood vessels in the skin will contract. So the import- And then obviously get them to a doctor or a hospital, but temporizing right. measures. The big thing is to, to call 911 big thing that we do in emergency rooms, and I'm sure of work can attest to, is to get these people undressed, like like Josh said, uh, get them to a bed quick, and basically douse them or spray them, actually, is what we do. We use sprayers to spray them with um, cool water and basically turn on these big fans. That way, you know, we're using the mechanism of evaporation. So. Well, that's certainly true in a mass casualty uh, situation, like the heat, you know, those heat waves in Chicago that are... Um that people at Cook County still talk about. When it's an isolated incident, and if it's just one person, we can actually do some, some pretty, pretty crazy stuff like, you know, cold IV fluids. We have, I, I've used cooling, cooling blankets on a person, ice packs to the axillas and the groins, and that really lowers that temperature really quickly. So heat stroke is obviously one of the big, big concerns that you can have during the summer, and certainly in warm weather. Another one that is actually a little bit more related to spring and into summer is an increase in allergy and asthma attacks. Uh, Now, I realize that this is less of an issue for kids now that nobody plays outside anymore because it's hard to get a lot of pollen from World of Warcraft. But if by some chance you are outside and vacationing, hiking, playing, There's more smog, more air pollution, higher pollen levels, increased mold. All this is due to higher humidity. So you can see a spike in asthma attacks. So it's really important to make sure that if you have asthma, you take your daily medications, that you're using them correctly, and you want to keep a close eye on pollen and air pollution levels. Now, Ward, ER Josh, you guys see a lot of asthma exacerbations and COPD attacks I'm sure. How do you know if something's severe enough to handle at home versus needing to come into the emergency room? Well, first of all, I agree with you totally, Josh. Yeah, although less and less kids are, you know, going outside and enjoying uh, the fire things of, you know, our environment and, and hanging outside and playing more video games, the rates of asthma are actually going up in our populations. As far as treatment and, and, and when to come into the ER goes, I mean, it, it depends on what your response is to your home medication. You know, there's different levels of, of uh, asthmatics. Usually the way it goes is, you know, if you feel like you're having, an, you know, an asthma attack, shortness of breath, wheezing, chest tightness, uh, go ahead and grab that albedo inhaler as soon as possible and, and, you know, take a hit or two, okay? For vast majority of these patients who have the mild intermittent or even the more of the, the persistent asthma categories, most cases you'll feel better and, you know, that's pretty much it. And those are the kind of people that definitely do not need to come to the ER. Now, another subset of population, you know, the more the yeah. moderate... Uh, to severe asthmatics, you know, who kind of always have symptoms, you know, a little bit, you know, and that, you know, can be a few times a week. A lot of times these people will get nighttime symptoms as well and so on. And so these are the people that, you know, are usually on a steroid inhaler. And so, again, you know, it's the rescue inhaler uh, that, that needs to be taken. So go ahead and use that rescue inhaler again. Um, and, you know, pretty much the way I recommend to patients is, you know, you may try to use it once, Try to use it again, you know, five or ten minutes later. If it's not helping you, then probably it's best to come to the ER or at least an urgent care clinic. Recent research has shown that not only is asthma a reaction, basically clamps down on your airways or constricts it, but it's also an inflammatory process. And so because of this, you know, steroids are pretty much the mainstay of treatment of every asthma attack. In just a very, very brief three to five sentences, who needs to come, who doesn't, and what's a good indication? Uh, well, uh, basically, you know, the people that need to come in are, are the ones that, despite uh, using the albuterol inhaler, they're still not feeling better, still feeling short of breath. And these are the patients that definitely need to come into the emergency room or, or at least an urgent care clinic. 
Sure, and keep in mind when you're traveling to a new area, there could be a whole new set of allergens or things that could provoke an asthma attack. So if you are an asthmatic or if you used to have a lot of asthma-related illness and you sort of outgrew it in your area, keep your inhaler around if you're traveling to a new area because it may set off, especially if you're going somewhere more humid or somewhere with a whole brand new set of scents and allergens that can trigger you. Yeah, I agree. I, most as- asthmatics know their bodies pretty well. And, huh? you know, If you know that you've had to go to a hospital, had a breathing tube put down your throat, um, that's a warning sign that's that if you get a bad way. asthma attack, you should go to the hospital. And if you're using your albuterol or you know your inhaler more than more than you know every four hours, or more a lot more often than you usually do, that's also a sign that you know something's gone awry. Now, everybody loves doing outdoor things, or at least our our generation did. These damn kids, <laughs> nobody appreciates. Uh, but everybody enjoys being outdoors, playing games. What would you guys say is the number one summertime activity? Video games. Yeah, video games, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, once you have, let's say the Wi-Fi is down and you don't want to wait in line for the PlayStation for, I don't know, Assassin's Creed, what are you going to do to help maybe cool off what's what's the next most popular non-video gaming summertime activity going with this suicide yeah so uh (laughs) suicide is the movie theaters (laughs) okay you know i'll make it as easy as possible america's past second (laughs) past time what am i terrified of that a lot of people do in the summer water yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I totally was expecting yeah. when you make a clown joke. <laughs> Clowns in the water. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What what what's the number one summertime activity? Circuses? <laughs> Clowns. So, yes. So, swimming. Swimming is a big summertime topic and we have done a whole episode on deep sea medicine, episode 10, under the sea, but we haven't really talked about some of the most common problems that can arise when you're closer to shore. So, Ward, would you care to tell us a little bit about the one of the numerous dangers that the ocean can pause? I'd love to. Unintentional drowning. Get the facts. You know, in the United States, every day about 10 people die from unintentional drowning. And of these, two are children aged 14 or younger. And drowning in the United States actually ranks about fifth in the leading causes of unintentional injury death in the United States. Um, I Out of curiosity, what's first? You know, it doesn't say. This is according to the CDC. Now, This, this is, is the American worst game of family feud ever. <laughs> Number five, drowning. Number one, eh, suicide. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you win. The Jawinski family. <laughs> Video uh, games. So I cross-referenced uh, the WHO to see if that stacks up with uh, our worldwide numbers. And worldwide, actually, we have it pretty good. Drowning is the third leading cause of unintentional injury death worldwide, accounting for about 7% of all injury deaths. And if you're asking for me for what number one is, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's well, we know it's also- not video games because that knocked drowning from third to fifth in the U.S. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, about 80% of the people who die from drowning are males. Children, uh, kids ages from one to four, have the highest drowning rates. Here's something weird. Minorities, you know, non-Caucasian people, uh, in the- minorities account for a dis- disproportionately higher rate of drowning deaths than their white counterparts. And according to the WHO, actually people in Africa and parts of Asia have also a disproportionately higher rate of drowning deaths compared to North America and Europe. And that's that's kind of odd and interesting. And according to the CDC, what factors influence drowning risk? Well, number one on the list is you can't swim. It's like, okay, thanks, CDC. Lack of swimming ability. Obvious uh, website is obvious. You know, they're right. 
lack of barriers, so no pool fencing to prevent young children from falling in. And that's in. a big, big uh, deal. The WHO, CDC, and AAP will all advocate for those things. So, And related to that, lack of close supervision, um, failure to wear life jackets when you're on a boat, and alcohol use. That's like a perfect storm right there. Yeah. yeah. So remember, guys, having a life jacket on a boat is not enough. It doesn't do you any good if you're not wearing it. Yeah, and especially if you're drunk. So what has research found? What helps? Well, swimming skills help. <laughs> I'm reading again. I'm sorry. I got, I'm not reading again. No, no cause like, of drowning? It's kind not of being able to swim. <laughs> this is on the CDC website again, but they're absolutely right. I'm sorry if I sound sarcastic. But they're right. I mean, swimming skills help, uh, but not everyone has the advantage of having a pool and a swim instructor. You know, uh, amongst racial groups, African Americans report reported the most limited swimming ability. That's according to the CDC website, and maybe that has something to do with the disproportionate number of um, drowning-related deaths. There is, however, a factor here, aside from ability to swim, though, is that a lot of people will take risks, for instance, in open water like ocean, where they think their swimming ability will be fine, but they don't account for something like undertow, which will actually suck them in and under the water, even if they're excellent swimmers. You guys, the ocean is just trying to kill you, all of you, all the time. <laughs> No, Josh, the ocean's well, <laughs> Oh, well, that goes without saying, but it will take down anyone in its path in order to get to me. So, really, for your safety and mine, just stay out of the water. <laughs> well, here are some tips to keep Josh safe, actually. Uh, this is also on the CDC website. Use Thanks, anybody's... CDC. Thanks. Learn to swim is one of them, but I'm going to skip that one. Um <laughs> Use a buddy system, which actually I not not enough people do it. Uh, we actually used it when we travel. Um, Josh, right. I think had a buddy who swam away from him. The, quickly. the famous accountability buddy system. Accountability accountability buddy system. That's listed as one of the ways to stay, stay safe. Uh, have supervision, lifeguards. Um, you know, oh, I thought you meant like supervision. I can see him all the way over there. <laughs> yep, he's running. <laughs> 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 don't use alcohol avoid alcohol if possible uh, wear life jackets and learn CPR in the case of drowning seconds count CPR performed by bystanders have been proven to show uh, have shown to save lives and improve outcomes in drowning victims and the quicker the CPR is started the better chance of survival and remember you don't need to give mouth to mouth anymore it's just pure chest compressions for for most CPR cases. And if you can't remember how fast to CPR, you can take your pick of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson, or Yeah by oh, Ursher. Really? Ursher is also 100 oh. per minute, huh? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay! <laughs> the little John, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or what will this person be returning to? <laughs> well, you know, the I think interesting. That's my goal is to just find a hundred beat per minute song from every decade, so oh my I God, can have a, a CPR, a CPR jukebox. Definitely... <laughs> there's a Spotify list for yes, that. We, I don't mind crowdsourcing that. All of our listeners, if you wouldn't mind posting songs that are at tempos of 100 beats per minute or 100 per minute. Uh, then we would love to make a list of those and and give it to our friends over at the Red Cross. The CPR travel playlist. <laughs> I I use I have one for running, but I think it'll work for it'll work for uh, CPR as well. Also, I'm gonna find a Taylor website. Swift song. <laughs> uh, it's not the goat. You know the curious thing about drowning is that outcomes are can be very different depending on how old you are, what your condition was before you drowned, if there are other injuries, and water temperature. And I, Josh, I don't know if, you know, when you were training in your residency program, if they, if they pounded that into your head, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Yeah, actually. When you pry it from my warm, dead hands over my warm, dead body, we had a whole bunch of fun with 
the actual temperature. Because uh, people traditionally think you have to be cold to be dead, but it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite, yeah. And most of the case reports of people who survive just unbelievably long periods of being submerged under water have been under icy water or cold yes, water. Hyperthermia, very cold temperatures, preserves the body and metabolic processes slow down, including breakdown and death. And it's actually, you know, science fiction, cryostasis or whatever you can think. The body can sometimes, right circumstances, be held and preserved in cold temperatures, especially in cases of drowning. Like Mr. And as an aside, we're even using this technique of cooling down the body in people, certain people whose heart stops. So if so, you're going to drown, drown yeah. in the wintertime. The record of surviving underwater the longest is held by a little Aquaman. Girl. I am on a roll today. <laughs> the second longest record of surviving underwater is a little two-and-a-half-year-old girl at the time, Aqua Girl. <laughs> For her protection, she is named Aqua Girl. And she was in Salt Lake City, and she was submerged under a, an icy creek for more than an hour. And the time that they reported was 66 minutes. They somehow pulled her out of that icy creek, put her on a – in fact, they had to put her on a heart-lung bypass machine, and she walked out of the hospital. She, she left with an intact neurological outcome. All right. Away from the grim depths of the sea. My Actually, favorite. why don't we cover a couple of the infections that are very common oh, in the summer? Do infections first? Summertime's a wonderful time. We have come away from what's called the respiratory viral season. And for everybody out there listening in Radio Land, your flu season begins in the northern hemisphere around October and ends in late March, early April. As you get into summertime, you hit what's, you know, what's called, you get enteroviruses, which include Coxsackie, which is named after a city in New Jersey. Thank you. The echoviruses. And the famous enterovirus that's been making its rounds right now is this D68, which can sometimes cause paralysis. That's reminding all of us in infection, in infectious diseases of polio. And so this was the time during the summertime before vaccination when polio would make, make its rounds and it would do so through our water <clears throat> systems. And now, thank God, with the advent of inoculation, we no longer see polio. Adenovirus is another one, so keratoconjunctivitis, which you can see in when people go to swimming pools and they congregate and they pass this adenovirus, and that's when you get pharyngeoconjunctival fever, which basically means you get fever, a sore throat, and pink eye all at the same time. You see out, many outbreaks of these when kids have a pool party and one of them will have pink eye, and then by the end of it, everybody will have pink eye. Encephalitis viruses, these viruses which can infect our brain, so West Nile, which many may have heard of, and arboviruses, so some of them West equine and East equine <laughs> encephalitis viruses. So please use... I know I've said this before, but scientists are just oh, terrible yeah. at naming things. <laughs> I fell asleep when I heard that name. Very creative. Western equine. It's got to be Eastern equine. And then, of course, yep. we get around to all of the other encephalitis viruses, which are just named from where? St. Louis. Lacrosse uh, La virus. Which is the most preppy-sounding. <laughs> I say, Buffy. Let's go out and inflame someone's brains. As your next feel stiff, <laughs> as your nose. <laughs> so a lot of these will show up uh, a little bit like the flu. You'll feel headachey and body achy, and in a small percentage of these, it will lead to infection of the brain, so altered mental status and kind of very acute delirium, which means all of a sudden you start acting weird and bizarre. And then... In a, in a good percentage of these cases, it will resolve and people will get better except for a, a lingering and residual headache. But there are some who end up with brain damage. And unfortunately for 
pretty much all of these we have no vaccine. So the one thing we always say is protection against insects. Mosquito repellents and full armed shirts when you go outside and try to uh, try to avoid the uh, the morning hours when these mosquitoes will proliferate. Be careful. Anybody who's going out into the forest, you know, make sure to check for ticks because this will be the season now in the northeast for Lyme disease. And Borrelia burgdorferi will cause Lyme and Borrelia, I believe, burgdorferi. Mm, Borrelia, <laughs> I think it's Parkeri in the uh, in the Midwest will cause relapsing fever. And there are rickettsias, which will cause Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which oddly shows up in the Appalachians. And uh, if you're <laughs> traveling abroad during these summer times, it, in the tropical zones, it will not be summer. It will be the wet season. So this is the height of <laughs> malaria season. So also mosquitoes out there. And finally, for those non-infectious things, but things that will bite you, uh, snakes, spiders, all these guys, this is their mating season. This is their high activity season. So please stay away from anything that's hissing or rattling at you because <laughs> their activity is up, which means they bite more. And there are a, an uptick in toxic bites from venomous animals. So there are... And sp- and spiders and snakes both like these heavily sunned areas because, hey, why should you be the only one to get a bikini body? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> I'm going to sound like such a tool right now. Well, actually, Josh, uh, the, these animals are cold-blooded. They can't regulate their own temperature, so they need the, the sun's heat in order to stay warm. So they're going to sun themselves on a nice warm rock out in the... <laughs> yeah, that's why I do it, too. And Josh, as we know, is so cold-blooded. <laughs> I'm just a stone-cold killer. The goal is to see how many song references I can now work in every episode. And it's also important to note that more and more of these illnesses are coming to the States as well. Arkansas. And it may have to do something with as simple as climate change as well as travel, that previously these zones the uh, on the on the planet were not permissible for these viruses to grow okay so i think why don't we we've covered sort of the biggest issues that come up i'm going to very quickly run through one or two others that you can see very commonly in the summertime and then we'll let santosh handle just the tip so food poisoning Backyard barbecues, picnics, general outdoor eating. Because. Such poor hygiene. Yes. Train chive. I only have one word. (laughs) Oh. So if you want to learn about train chive, please go back and listen to our very first episode. If you can handle the sound quality, we make some great stories about our first experience in India. Train chai can happen any time of the year. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You can be train chai wherever. So, guys, if you're eating any kind of food, remember, heat spoils food quickly. So any kind of egg salad, tuna salad, anything with mayonnaise, eggs, if you leave chicken out in the sun too long, if you leave fish, meat, Anything that's basically not jerky or trail mix, you cannot leave out in the for more than two hours may not be safe to eat. And in temperatures higher than 90 degrees Fahrenheit, food shouldn't be left out for more than one hour. If you're a big hiker, in addition to avoiding sunbathing cold-blooded snakes, you also want to watch out. Snakes and spiders are not the only things trying to attack and bite you. Mother Nature wants to get in on the act with her plants. Uh, famous Batman villain, Poison Ivy. Seductive. Lesser known, lesser known Batman villains, Poison Oak and Poison Sumac. <laughs> I think those were are. <laughs> well, Poison Ivy fights the Dark Knight, but Poison Ivy, Oak, but Oak and Sumac tend to uh, get you during the day. Not a lot of night hikers. <laughs> that was a fantastic and... crossover and a true fact. Yeah. 
Thank you, sir. So about 85% of people are allergic to erushiol, which is the oil found in the sap of all these plants. And even though you can get a rash from a poison ivy plant at any time of year, even in winter when the plant has no leaves, it's a lot more common in the summer because people are more likely to come into contact with the plant. If you do, wash it off and then soap and water. How long should you wash? At least long enough to sing happy birthday to yourself twice. Why? You deserve it. <laughs> so the painful swelling and itching can be treated with a calamine lotion, an antihistamine, teabagging yourself. But, but Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> with, with the tannins from oh. the Lipton tea. You guys. You guys. Come on now. Does it have to be Lipton? <laughs> no, but we're getting a lot of money from this, Josh. Shut up. <laughs> I think we're going a little far. Black tea, okay? Just black tea, okay. Black tea. Um, but see a doctor if the rash appears on your eyelid, lips, face, or genitals. I love how they include genitals. The Who is groin. going naked hiking? Josh, yeah. More than you know. Naked. <laughs> well, remember, remember, follow ER Josh's advice and protect the groin. <laughs> Some people are more allergic to the urushiol than, than others. You can actually get that get a systemic reaction where your entire body gets more than what, what originally contacted the poison oak, poison sumac, or poison uh, ivy. That, 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 that More than the original contact area gets inflamed. And there are actually some good treatment options. Talk to your doctor. So can the systemic reaction to urushiol be taken care of with an EpiPen ward? Um, and this gets too this gets too technical. I mean, the the, the reaction to to urushiol is actually a type four sensitivity reaction. It's a cytotoxic okay, so kind, where your side kind of so, so it's not a it's not the same as your anaphylactic okay, type, okay. which is not to say you can't get an anaphylactic type reaction to to poison oak, but the mechanism is a little bit different for so most people. Actually, an epipen would not necessarily work in this kind of a case, uh, as it would. No, and. An EpiPen only lasts, the effects of an EpiPen only lasts about 10, 15 minutes. That wraps up our summer-loving medical topics. What are you trying to imply? (laughs) (laughs) You're crazy. The segue is like, oh, you know, maybe in summertime you don't get horribly itchy from poison ivy, but maybe you get manic. Uh, uh, Ah, I see what you did there. Maybe you didn't lose only your bikinis, but also your head. (laughs) That doesn't work. A lot of people are familiar with the mental health condition known as SAD, or Seasonal Affective Disorder, where you see an increase in depression in winter-like, colder, or low-sunlight weather. What you may not be aware of is that summer has its own host of mental problems, And one of the things you tend to see is an increase in manic behavior where in people who have bipolar disorder, an increase in attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, although paradoxically, sometimes being out of school or out of these things does tend to briefly improve ADHD. And oddly enough, there is even a reverse sad where there are some people who tends to get increased depression during the summer. There's not really a lot of great explanations for this, but studies have found that anxiety-based issues do become more apparent during summer in part to the lack of structure that a lot of people have, or at least people who don't work six days out of the week. And this is especially pronounced in our adolescents who have bipolar disorder depression or seasonal defective disorder because aside from going through the normal swings of puberty which itself can be horrifying especially with a mental illness you have the complete breakdown in structure which comes from getting away from school and having to spend a lot of time with your parents sorry guys (laughs) yeah Although I like your parents, Santosh. I don't want to spend spend a lot of time with them. Josh. We can we can we can visit. We can visit without you. Yeah. Yeah. Santosh's parents, we love you. Santosh doesn't, but we do. (laughs) So 
I think that wraps up some of the most common medical problems you're likely to encounter as the weather turns warmer and what you can do about them. So why don't we hear from Santosh, since we've been picking on him so much, why don't we give Santosh a chance to give us this week's Just the Tip? Well, as our listeners may know, and as Josh certainly knows, I am from the great state of Iowa, and Iowa is known for its wonderful people. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. It's known for corn. There's so much corn. Oh, my God. And if you go out west into Iowa and get further out into the Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa border, South Dakota bordering the northwest bit, and then Nebraska... There's more corn. Yes, you get... No, no, you transition into wheat. You start to transition to wheat. Uh, But more corn. Yes, more corn. And there in Mitchell, South Dakota, you will find... The Corn Palace. Yes, people. Why, Santosh, is that a palace built no, out of corn? Josh, it is not. Disappointingly, it has many onion-shaped domes, much like a Russian KGB house. But, uh, yeah, it is just Whoa. a palace celebrating the greatness of corn. And it is there in Mitchell, South Dakota. There... You can learn about some uh, some history. You've got some guided tours. And reading off of their website, cornpalace.com, one word, you have <laughs> amazing facts. <laughs> Santosh, you grew up in Iowa. Can you tell us an amazing <laughs> fact about corn? Uh, I really can't. I've got nothing. <laughs> It's Santosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's been having a Tell lot of us corn. Where did corn come from? <laughs> well, you see, Ward, when a mommy corn and a daddy corn love each other very much. No, actually. <laughs> what do you guys put in that most, corn in most Iowa? Most of our corn, actually, we're not allowed to keep the seeds and crossbreed anymore because a lot of the corn is owned by our glorious overlords at Monsanto who refused to allow us to breed the corn. So, we so, yes, you can visit the Corn Palace. They have murals. They have history. They have... Uh, you can book it for your next event. And during the summertime, they have some amazing tours coming through. So they have the Corn Palace Shrine Circus, which is going to come through. And in August, you can go and see... Tony Orlando. Everybody remember Tony Orlando and Don? No? Anyway. anyway, he's at the Corn Palace. He's coming to the Corn Palace on Sunday, August the 3rd. So, yes, if you want to learn all about the wonders of corn, please grab... If you'd like to see... Wait, wait, wait. Wait for it. If you'd like to see some great ear architecture. <laughs> And oh. are ready to be amazed. Oh, shucks, guys. <laughs> oh, shucks. I'm all ears. But I will, but as Santosh said, the building is merely a husk. <laughs> but it contains a kernel of truth. I miss these times, you guys. That is this week's Just the Tip, and I will tell you, my brother and I visited the Corn Palace, and it is... If you're passing Delicious. through Iowa anyway, it's worth a look. <laughs> Josh, I think I'm, I think I'm just going to go just to find out who Tony Orlando really no. is. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Please continue to tune in weekly as we release multiple episodes on multiple things and hopefully start recording earlier in the day. Until next time, guys, happy travels. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.